Hey there, this is Michael Burris. I'm the lead pastor of Summit View Church in Irving, Kentucky, and this is our podcast. I hope this podcast encourages you, I hope it inspires you, and I hope it helps you to start seeing your life from God's perspective. Thanks for joining us today. Now enjoy the message. Excited for this series. We are in week number two of our series that we started last week called Faithful. And uh, we're kicking off this year with it. You know, I was praying last year about um, what our word might be for this year. Our, our, our intentional focus as a church would be for, for this year. And you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that, that we do. But we, we really try to take a word and center a lot of things about our year around that. And so as I was praying, I felt this word faithful come to me. And so I started praying about the word, started studying it, and, uh, and preparing what, for what it meant. And, uh, and it took me to Matthew chapter 25. And last week as we kicked off this series, we really looked at this parable, this story that Jesus told in its entirety. Um, and remember, a parable is uh, it's a made-up story that Jesus would tell that's, that's applicable to the current culture, but it's used to demonstrate a heavenly principle in a way that people could process it um, in their brains more easily that they can identify with it. And so Jesus told this, uh, this story of a master that he was going on a real long journey. And before he went, he entrusted uh, talents to his servants. Now, talents back um, when this was written was a form of currency. It wasn't like a talent that you and I would, um, would think is like a skill today. It was a form of currency back then. It was actually a, a lot of money. It was equal to just about um, as much money as one person, one average person would make their entire lifetime was one talent. And so this master is going away and he finds three different servants and it said that he entrusted these talents to them as they were able to manage it. And so to one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. And to the, to the third one, he gave one talent. And then the master went away. And uh, the one with the five talents and the two talents, both of them, they went off and they doubled what had been given to him. They traded and they did things with the, the money and they, they ended up producing uh, and they had two times the amount that they were able to, to have um, afterward, and the one with five had ten, the one with two had four, and then there's the one with the, that was given the one talent, he went and buried his in the ground. And finally, the master returned from his journey, and he comes to his servants to check in with them, and the, the one with the five brought it to the master and, um, and, and showed him he had doubled. The one with the two brought it to the master, showed him that he had doubled what he'd given him, and this is where our series verse is. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, this is what the master said to each of those two. The master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But then there's the one that had gone and buried his one talent in the ground, and he hid it there because he, he didn't want to lose it. And, and the master went to him, and, and he didn't call that man faithful, um, which to a lot of our thinking was, is a little counterintuitive because wouldn't you think the more faithful one would have been the one that took, was trying to take better care of it? Like he hid it away. The other two, they, they, they could almost be considered reckless because what they did with the money was they were trading it and doing this. But the, but the, the master returned to the servant that had um, 
taken the one and buried it in the ground. He said, he, he didn't call him faithful. In fact, he called him wicked and slothful. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. At least you could have put it in the bank to where it would have gained me a little bit of interest. And so through this parable, we pulled this big idea. And this is what I wanted to do last week. I wanted to really define what it meant to be faithful in the biblical sense of the term And most of us, when we think of the word faithful, we think of the person that always shows up, the person that's always there. Man, they're they're a faithful member of some of you church. That that means they're going to be here every single Sunday. You can count on them to be here. They're a faithful member of of, uh, the country club. They're always going to be there on the weekends. But really, when we look at the biblical definition, it doesn't mean the faithful person doesn't have to, you know... We'll say it like this, the, our big idea is that, that faithful people, they don't maintain. Faithful people multiply. So it's not in our terms of the definition that, that like it's the person that always shows up. No, it's, it's, the, it's not the person that maintains the life that they've been given. It's the person that multiplies, that grows the life that they've been given. And I encourage you guys, if you, if you missed last week, go back and listen to that message um, if you haven't listened to it because I really hope to reshape your definition of, of the word faithful and what it means. And that message last week really lays a groundwork for everywhere that we're going to go for the rest of this series. Faithful people don't maintain. Faithful people multiply. They don't just coast They don't just set it on cruise control. Faithful people take everything that God has entrusted to them and they grow it. No matter what that is, whether it be your calling, whether it be your family, whether it be our career, whether it be our wealth, God calls us to multiply it. God calls us to grow, to put in the work and grow what he's given us. When I was was in high school uh, during my junior year, the spring of my junior year, my brother, uh, Travis, started running track, and it was just something kind of fun for, for him to do in the off-season of wrestling when we're, we had a few months where we weren't wrestling throughout the year, and so he decided to fill it with um, r- running track, and, and I thought to myself, man, that does sound fun just to go out there and kind of goof around, be with another you know, group of people, and um, meet new people, stretch myself for a new sport, and so I talked to the track coach. Um, and I joined the team just a little bit late, later than most, but I joined the team, the track team, and, and uh, back then I was actually, I was in shape. I was, a, I was a decent runner back then, but I was still short and stocky, and so you would think for somebody that was my body type, um, you'd think that like I'd do something like the discus throw or, the, or maybe the shot put or maybe even like the 100-meter sprint, but no, uh, you know what events I joined? Um, pole vault, and, yeah, and 300-meter uh, hurdles. Uh, decided to do that for some reason. Guys, I'm, at the time, I'm maybe five foot four, like probably five foot three, if we're being honest. My license at 16 says five foot two. And so it's like, I made the decision for whatever reason to run hurdles and pole vault. I really think to this day the only better decision I could have made was high jump. You know what I mean? Just, it was, so I remember, you know, pole vault was pretty fun. As you can imagine, I was far from the best, um, but it was pretty fun just kind of launching up in the air, doing the thing, and didn't have to do any running for training for pole vault. Imagine that, you just, one sprint and you're good. Um, Didn't have to do 
any uh, conditioning, so that was extra fun. <clears throat> but I decided for whatever reason that I also wanted to run 300-meter hurdles. And I didn't, I didn't like it. I don't know why I did it. And, and for those of you that don't know, 300-meter hurdles in high school, that's like a quarter-mile track. You know, the one loop is a quarter-mile. That's three-quarters of the way around uh, this, this one loop of this track. And, and you have to do that. You ha- you've got to sprint this while you're hurtling over uh, hurdles that are, that are for boys' track at the time, three foot tall. Now remember, I said I was only 5'3", five, 5'4", five, and I'm hurtling, over, I'm hurtling over hurdles that I've got less up top than I do at the bottom. You know what I mean? Like, I've got less clearance up here than, than trying to... I'm not going to demonstrate it for you today. But actually, when you hurdle, you're not supposed to jump over the hurdles. That's going to slow you down. What you're really supposed to do is you're supposed to high step. I told you I wasn't going to do it. You thought I was going to. You're supposed to high step over the hurdle and so you don't break stride. It's really scientific. There's a lot of technique to it. You have timed out like how many steps are in between each hurdle. You're counting it in your head so you don't break your stride. And you're high stepping over each one. The only problem is that's not the best event for a short person Um, because I wasn't flexible enough to get my knee up past my head. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have much room there. And I remember the first time that I ran this event in a competition. Um, it 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 was one county over from where my school was. And so the local uh, newspaper sports photographer went to the event and he was taking pictures, which was awesome for the kids that were good at their sports. Like, that was great for them. But, uh, so I start running, and, and all the adrenaline is pumping. It's my first race, like, and all the adrenaline's pumping. And I remember I pushed myself way too hard in the first 100 meters. Like, I'm, I'm, going, I'm thinking I'm doing real good until I hit about halfway. And I'm thinking, I started way too fast because now I'm slowing down. And I'm seeing the other guys, like, come on by me. I'm like, wait a second, which way am I running here? And, uh, and by halfway through, I'm rounding that turn, and my legs start becoming like Bambi legs. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're kicking out to the side. You got noodle, you got noodle legs. And, and I rounded that curve, and there's one straightaway left. And my mind was beginning to... To, it, was, it was saying, my mind's telling me yes, but my body is telling me no. You know what I mean? Like it's my mind saying, yes, you can do this. My body's saying, you ain't going to do this. My legs are all out to the side, and, and it's slow, and I, and, and I start slowing down. And I, you know, I had a decent lead at the beginning of the race because I was just pushing myself so fast, but then it started closing the gap. You start seeing people come up on you, and I'm on that last straightaway, and my back foot catches the hurdle. Because I just, I was a little bit tired. My back foot catches the hurdle and I stumble, which throws off everything, by the way. If you, if you hit a hurdle while you're doing it, like your steps are off. Remember, you're just like timed out. You're all, you're all messed up. And, uh, and I remember I, I try to recover from that one. I run up for the next hurdle and I hit that one. And, uh, and, it, and I remember this one, especially because uh, one of my gracious teammates described it as, I was falling in slow motion. Like, you know those falls that take way too long? You're like, just get it over with already. You're, you've spent 20 feet just falling. You've been, you're just, and I remember it especially because um, the sports photographer got every single frame of this fall. And he, I tried to find it online. It was the, the gallery wasn't there. I was going to show you guys today. But, um, 
but everybody got to see that. Everybody got to see me uh, fall in on my first race. Needless to say, I didn't run hurdles anymore after that. Um, but, you know, in track, in any of the sprinting events, they have this, you have lanes. You have lanes that are painted on the ground, and you have to stay in between these lines while you're running. You're not allowed to cross over into your competitor's lane or your partner's lane. You actually have to stay in yours. And that's where the, the term comes from, stay in your lane. And, uh, and that's the title of today's message. If you're looking at your message notes, the title of today's message is stay in your lane. And, and so... From my years in, in track, I learned two things. You've got to stay in your lane when you're running, but you've also got to stay in your lane in life. And for me, when I was running track, that looked like um, not joining pole vault in hurdles when you're five foot nothing and doing something that maybe you're better attuned for. Um, but staying in your lane in life means taking what you have, whether it be your resources, your time, your influence, your natural aptitude, and using it without reaching outside of that. You've got a sweet spot that you've been, you know, if you've, if you've ever worked a job before, you know this person, okay? Like the, the people that overstep their influence that they've been given and they start telling you how you need to do your job, but yet they don't also have the authority to back it and so what do you say? They need to stay in their lane. You need to stay in your lane, man, because, because what they've done is they've stepped outside of that zone of responsibility for their life. And in our lives, we need to learn to stay in our lane. Now let me, let me debunk a myth for you, okay? I'm gonna debunk a myth. You're welcome. Life tells you that you need to be a well-rounded person. That's not true. That is not, there's, there's nothing in your Bible that says you need to be a well-rounded person. Now, I'm all about uh, developing areas that you're deficient in. Like, hey, if you've got a short fuse, you've got to work on that, okay? Like, if, 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 you, if you drive out here and you flip somebody off out of the parking lot on your way out today, you've got to work on that, all right? But, but, but you don't need to be a well-rounded person. That's, that's the truth that the world will try to sell you that is actually going to distract you from your purpose. You don't need to be a well-rounded person. You need to be a well-developed person. There's a difference. That, that God called you to be a well-developed individual. And, and there's some things in life, listen, that you're never going to do. There are some things in your life that you're never going to do and you shouldn't. And it's different for everyone. Some of you, no matter how hard you try and how much you do it and how much you work at it, you are never going to be the next world-renowned pop star, okay? Like, you can't sing. There's no amount of effort that is going to fix the fact that you're tone deaf. There's nothing. You're just, you're never gonna do that. Luckily, the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say it has to be one that's in tune. So as long as you're singing with a smile on your face, you keep on singing. You keep on doing you, boo, okay? But listen, God, this is, what I, this is something I want you to take away. Uh, the, the big point of today is that God doesn't want you to be everything. He wants you to be effective. God doesn't want you to be everything. He wants you to be effective, 
Now in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to hang out here for, um, and pull some points from this for the rest of the message today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 12 and then 15 through 20. And it says this, it says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts, many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I'm the hand, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't stop, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. In this passage, we're given this illustration that we are separate parts of a body, that each of us has a specific role that we're called to play in the body of Christ. But none of us are called to play every role in the body. Imagine someone... Imagine someone walking around, and instead of ears on their head, they would have sets of, of hands, like just, just hands. That person wouldn't be able to hear a thing. That person is also known as a husband. <laughs> Imagine someone also, if walking around uh, with, instead of, um, instead of eyes, a person has mouths, so this person, instead of two eyes, has three mouths. That person sure would talk a lot, right? That person's also known as a wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Sorry. Sorry, I had to do it. But my, my point here, <laughs> I can say that because mine's back there in the kids. So, but my point here is that each body, every body part has a specific purpose. No body part fulfills every purpose, and, and that's the way that our bodies are designed. Our bodies are designed that, that in, in, in uh, each part would just fulfill a specific purpose. And that's also the way that the body of Christ is designed. That's the way that you're designed in regards to your purpose in life. You're designed to accomplish a specific purpose, but you're not designed to accomplish every purpose. You've got to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. So, as we, as we, um, I've got three steps this morning as we're closing this. Three steps to, to staying in your lane of life. Three steps to staying in your lane of life. First, you've got to discover your place. You've got to discover your place because you can't stay in your lane if you don't know what your lane is. And looking at the story of, of the talents that our, our whole um, series is based upon, the, everybody was given something. I want you guys to see that. They weren't all given the same amount, but everybody got something, five, two, or one. Everybody that was there received something. Everybody was given something to be faithful with. And according to the Apostle Paul, every single person has a part to play in the body of Christ. And did you know that, that every person has also been given supernatural gifts and abilities to work toward that purpose in your life. The Bible is very clear that each one of us have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. We've been gifted by the Spirit of God in order 
to live out this purpose that God has given us. All of us haven't received the same gifts and, and the same mixture, but we've all received something. There is something in your life that God's calling you to be faithful with. I say it like this to people. You're a 10 at something. You're a 10 out of 10 at something in your life. There is, there, you have a sweet spot. You have a place. There is something in your life that you're better at than everybody else around you because God has gifted you that way. You have a place. You have something that you've been entrusted with. Listen, are you a mother? Be the best mom you can possibly be. Are you, because uh, your kids need it. Are, are you a leader somewhere in the, in, in the business world? Be, then lead with passion. Lead with zeal. Because your team needs that. Are you gifted in some area? Leverage that gift for the kingdom of God. Because the world needs it. You've been entrusted with something, but God leaves the ball in our court when it comes to the discovery of what that is. Like we haven't been, we, we haven't been given an instruction manual specifically for our life, like this is how you, this is you and this is how you're going to live or what purpose we're created to fulfill. But know this, that this is something that you can search out and find if you'll search for it. You can discover what you were uniquely crafted for if you search for it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. This, this verse is essentially telling us that before you were created, before you were born or even thought about by your mama, God had already, uh, he had put together a path for you to walk. He had, God had, God had created a, a, a place for you to fill in this world that only you could fill. And he prepared the world for you before you were born. You were created for a purpose. And you know, the best way to discover what place you're supposed to fill in this life, there's two things you got to do. If, if you're looking to discover what, what place, what lane you're supposed to be staying in in this life, number one, you got to understand yourself. you got to understand yourself. You were created with a unique personality. You were created with unique gifts and talents and skills. And, and your life has never been lived by anybody before. The life, but the life that you've lived is an indicator of your purpose on this earth. You can use where you've come from to determine where God is wanting you to go. You've got to know yourself. You've got to understand yourself. But you also need to seek out your creator. You've got to seek out your creator because the creator can always tell the creation what it was created for. Like every inventor on the face of the earth can, can tell you why this invention exists, what its, what its creation was supposed to do. And this is the main way that you can discover what God created you for. He created you for a purpose. you got to get to know your creator. You could, you, you could live this life without understanding yourself, but you can't truly live this life without being connected to your creator. You've got to, if you want to discover what you were created for, Understand yourself, but, but most importantly, seek out your creator. And let me tell you, this 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're in right now, welcome to day one, everybody looks happy. About day, about day 13 is when you're going to start feeling it, okay? Like 13, you're going to be like coming into church and be like, 
And I'm going to tell you, keep on going because it's worth it, baby. Keep on going. Then you're going to start to see a six-pack on yourself, and you're like, this is worth it. No, just me. I'm, gonna, I'm at least going to airbrush some on, you know, stand in the mirror, and I'm gonna, I might do the, what is that dance from the Goonies? I might do that, but I'll still have an airbrushed six-pack on. But this is a great time in this 21 days of prayer and fasting that you can connect with your creator like never before. We fast so we can disconnect from the world, but we pray so we can connect to God. And you're never going to understand yourself more than when you're standing face to face in the eyes of your creator. So, number one, though, you've got to stay in your lane of life. You've got to discover your place. Number two, and this is where I'm going to hang for a few minutes today, you've got to be content with your portion. You've got to be content with your portion. There's a big issue happening right now in the world that, and it's been on, on the rise really since the growth of connectivity in the world like social media and internet and all of those things. And this thing is called imposter syndrome. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but, but I want to speak to it some because I know, I know some of you struggle with it. I know you do. Um, if, I'm gonna be, if I'm being honest, I struggle with it daily. I struggle with this, and, and it's, it's a big enough issue that this is defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, that imposter syndrome is this. If you don't know what it is, imposter syndrome is defined as a psychological condition that is characterized by a persistent doubt concerning one's abilities or accomplishments accompanied by the fear of being exposed as a fraud despite evidence of one's ongoing success. So it's like, you're successful in life, but you have this constant feeling. If anybody knew the true you, it would all be exposed. It's called imposter syndrome. And it's, not, it's, not, it's not unique to you. There's, there's millions of people in the world that struggle with this. And in, in the, it's, the, it's the struggle of your mind that you're not good enough to be in the position that you're in today and someone's going to find out and they're going to expose you for what you really are. And here's what I think is essential in overcoming this imposter syndrome. Whether you've been given much in life or you've been given little in life. Whether you have a whole lot in life right now or you don't have much. Here's what you've got to do. Embrace it. Embrace it. Let me quote to you I'm going to quote to you a well-known verse. Okay, you, pro you can probably quote this because you've seen it on Steph Curry's shoes at some point. Um, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Did you know that that verse wasn't about physical prowess? That verse isn't even about emotional strength. Let me read this in context. I'm going to start... Um, the verse before. If you're ever confused about a verse in the Bible, always read the one before it. Always read the one after it, okay? That's also how you say, stay safe from somebody cherry-picking verses and, and forming their own ideas about what it means and they're just completely off. Always read the one before and always read the one after. So Philippians chapter 4, let's read verses 12 and 13. The apostle Paul writes this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have, a, to have not anything. And I know what it is to have a whole lot. And I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. I've learned the secret of being content with my portion. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. 
This verse isn't about us accomplishing everything we want in life. This is, our, this, is, this is about us being content with our portion in life, whatever God has entrusted to us. You can handle it because God is your source. If you don't feel like you have much today and you're struggling, you're praying every single day for your daily bread that God would meet your needs, God is your source. If you're in a position you feel like you're over your head and you just there's no way that you can do this on your own, that's okay because God is your source. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He said, no matter what I've been given in this season I'm living in, Paul says, I know I can handle it because I've discovered the secret of being content. I can do all things by trusting in God. No matter what season I'm in, I can thrive as long as I place my life in God's hands and trust in him. Contentment is the secret to beating imposter syndrome. Everyone understands the meaning of being content when you don't have much. But, but listen, you've also got to learn to be content when you have a lot. You've got to learn to be content, not, not like, I want even more. You've got to learn to be content that God has pushed, put you in a position of influence for a reason. You've been placed there. there. The man that was given five talents was given five talents for a reason because the, the master knew he could handle it. Let me take us back to the Matthew 25 where the idea of this series comes from. Three different people, three different portions of talents given to each one based on their ability to manage it. And I want you to recognize the dangers of living above and below the portion that was entrusted to you. There's dangers of living above and below the portion that was trusted to you. We ought to be content with our portion because the part, imagine this, a five-talent person living like a two-talent person will always end up bored and they're always going to end up unfulfilled. A two-talent person living like a five-talent person is always going to end up stretched beyond their means and burned out. Look at it like this. If you're a five-talent person sitting here in here today, you've got tons of influence, you've got tons of skills, and, and you're living like a, a two-talent person, meaning you aren't using all your gifts, you aren't using all your callings, you are, you're, you're constantly going to live in a state of dissatisfaction with life. You know there's more, you know there's more that you could be doing, but for whatever reason you aren't tapping into everything that you have access to, and so you're going to end up unfulfilled and your heart is never going to be satisfied because you have so much more to offer and you aren't living up to that potential. Now, if you're a two-talent person living like a five-talent person, there's a lot of lies that comes along with this one too. You start living above your means. You start forcing relationships with the wrong people. You, start, you, you probably start putting up a false identity on social media. And, and you'll never live life You'll never live up to the life that you're portraying because you're spending all your time running and running and running and you're never getting to rest. You're going to push yourself until there's nothing left in the tank and then you're going to be broken. Could you imagine an NBA, could you imagine an NBA player in their prime forced to play hoops with middle schoolers for the rest of their life? That's like a five-talent person, right? Like... Forced to play hoops with, a, with middle school for the rest of their life. There, there's no way they will ever feel fulfilled again while they're playing basketball. There's no way. Now, what if you took the average middle schooler and you threw him up into the NBA? 
somebody's going to get hurt. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with living above or below what the life that you've been entrusted with. Whatever God entrusts to you, there's a reason. There's a reason he did it. And for what God has given you, he's also equipped you to handle. But he hasn't equipped you to handle something that you have forced into your life. You know this is like one of the Ten Commandments, right? Like the Bible says, Don't, do not covet. That, that's, that's the whole issue here is don't covet someone else's portion that they've been given. Be content with your own. And this is why so many people have terrible relationships. This is why so many people have overwhelming amounts of debt or, they're, or they're, they have burnout that requires significant rehabilitation because they're trying to force things into their life that they're not equipped to handle. And this is also the reason why many people, maybe you included, are struggling with feelings of depression or emotional turmoil because you aren't living to the potential that God's put inside of you. You're not living up to the life that, that the Spirit of God knows that there is more inside of you. So here's what you do. Start being faithful with what you've been given. Because God can't bless what you pretend to be. You've got to be content with your portion. Then finally, number three, you've got to do your part. We want to discover our, our place. We want to be content with our portion. And then we want to do your part. Do your part. God hasn't called you to do everything, but he has called you to do something. There is something that you're supposed to do in this life. So whatever it is, do it. Whatever that might be, do it. Listen, you sat on the fence last year. This is the year that you're going to jump in. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As you've received a gift, use it to serve one another. Your part always involves action. And your part is your part. It belongs to you. Listen, you've got a lane that nobody else can run in. Nobody can, nobody can love that person like you love that person. So love them. No one else is going to do it for you. No one else can serve on that team like you can serve on that team. So join that team because no one else is going to do it in your place. No one can contribute to the mission of the church and the kingdom of God like you can. So contribute because no one else is going to fill that void for you. We are not a church of spiritual consumers. Guys, we're a church of spiritual contributors because we believe that every person has a part to play. So what is it for you? What is it this morning? What is it that God is speaking to your heart about right now? The best I can, advice that I can give you in life is this. When God knocks, you'll never regret answering that door. Whatever he's speaking to you right now in your heart, there's something, do it, do it. Don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to find a way around it. Do it and you'll never be disappointed with the outcome. 
Well, thanks for joining us today. I pray that this message had an incredible impact on your life. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out online at summitview.online. We hope we get to see you on a Sunday very, very soon. But until then, have a great week.